Hello, and thank you for the time today. I'm Jim Shook, the director of our cybersecurity and compliance practice in our global technology office for data protection. I spend most of my days with customers and internally talking about cyber recovery and cyber resilience. So I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to talk with you about those things today. In my presentation, we're going to talk about cyber recovery and how much can you afford to lose. You can't look at the news today without finding a bunch of stories about ransomware and data destruction. So we've got a couple here that are very interesting. And of course, we've blocked out the victims' names just because they've taken enough of a, abuse so far from the, the press. And really, our point is to talk about what happened and how difficult it is to prevent and recover from these attacks if you're not prepared. So what you can see from these particular attacks are a few things. One, the attacks are very expensive. Losses in the tens to hundreds of millions of dollars for a ransomware destructive attack are just not uncommon anymore. Two, it's very public. There are often service outages, you know, the term here used as meltdown, that are evident to customers, to shareholders, to partners, and other interested parties. And three, uh, the attacks have different types of techniques and capabilities. So you really have to be very prepared in advance for these attacks to minimize the impact. Despite that, despite the fact that we've had these attacks now for a while, you can see from our survey at the top of the slide that over two-thirds of organizations really lack confidence that they'd be able to recover their business-critical data after one of these attacks. And that's certainly what, what we see, too, anecdotally from being involved in this area. So what do you do? How do you prepare for and recover from these attacks? It's interesting because it is really a cybersecurity capability. If our customers uh, use a framework to kind of benchmark their cybersecurity capabilities, it's often, and this is globally, not just in the States, the NIST cybersecurity framework. We've depicted here just a representation, the five highest levels, the functions that are in the NIST cybersecurity framework. We focus on recover. Many organizations traditionally because we were worried about theft of data, which impacts the confidentiality of the data, focused on the other capabilities, identify, protect, detect, and respond. And those capabilities remain really important. We want to keep the bad actors out. We want to detect them as soon as they're in. We want to protect the information that we have. But we have to be aware that some of these attacks are going to get through. We have to be prepared to recover from those attacks. That's our focus. So it's no longer just about the confidentiality of the data. It's also about the integrity and availability of the data. And those are frequently protected best by a recover or sometimes called a cyber resilience capability. That's really where we fit our practice and our solution. One of the first steps that you really need to think about when you're looking at how to protect against these attacks is to consider the full spectrum of cyber threat actors. So we've got various groups depicted here. Starting at the left, I think there's a little bit too much focus on basic criminal actors. So these are actors who are in it for profit. They often have the, the lesser ones have just cyber, um, cyber ransomware as a service. 
and they're not very sophisticated. A lot of the solutions that are out there protect really just against those types of actors. We need to be wary of more sophisticated actors. And thinking back to the headlines I showed you, those were sophisticated actors in those situations. And we'll talk more about their techniques, but they're in it for the money. We can't stop there. So insiders, nobody likes to think about their employees being bad actors, but it happens. People get angry. They might be bribed, extorted. We've seen that with attacks recently, with some high profile companies where insiders were involved. So our protections have to go beyond just the basic criminals and include insiders. Then as we move over to the left, particularly with hacktivists and with cyber weapons, the purpose for those bad actors is to destroy. So they may encrypt data just like a ransomware attack, but there's nobody to pay. So if you're not prepared with the ability to recover data and you get hit by a hacktivist or a cyber weapon, you can't count on the ability to pay a ransom and get your data back. There's simply nobody on the other side. So working across all these threat actors, very important as you think about your strategy in the cyber resilience space. Here's one of the techniques that is getting to be better known, but really important to understand when you're making your plans here. And that's the idea of using a backup in a cyber recovery strategy. So you think about normal uh, attacks, the, the slide I just show you, showed to you, the bad actors are getting into the network and ultimately their goal is to encrypt your production data, databases, servers, sometimes file shares, just the important stuff that's in production. And so if you have a backup, you might be able to recover from that attack. Well, the bad guys know that too. And so more frequently, they've been targeting the backup infrastructure as part of their attack. They're very resourceful. They have a lot of tools. What we frequently see is deployment of things like a tool called Mimikatz to pull in passwords. We're seeing more frequently the bad actors breaking into password vaults, and then they get all the passwords for all the infrastructure so when they roll out their attack and they encrypt the production data, they're deleting, encrypting, or otherwise destroying the backup data. So you can't count on having that data unless you take extra measures. Another thing we see for some organizations is to simply put an extra copy of data, maybe an extra backup in the cloud. And it really the, the public cloud, if I'm being more specific. And you know, that's an interesting strategy to have an extra copy of data, but it's not protected. It's just an authentication away. And we've seen some of these bad actors get into the infrastructure and watch what the administrative people are doing on a daily basis. So they're uncovering those extra copies. And since it's just an authentication away, they can log in and delete or destroy that data. We've also seen them leverage cloud data for their own recovery. So they might get access to that content and then they just do a recovery to their servers and now they have all of your data. It's not a ransomware attack anymore, but it can certainly be just as painful. Similarly, a disaster recovery or DR strategy is a little different from a, from a cyber resilience strategy. So think about DR, the idea is if we have an operational or physical disaster, we've replicated data to another site so that we can fail over to that site and continue operations without too much disruption. Very important capability. 
doesn't help us much in most of these cyber attacks because the capability that we have, we use replication to deliver that data to the additional site. That replication doesn't know if it's replicating good data, bad data, or encrypted data. So if the bad actors have gotten in and, and encrypted the production data, our replication mechanism just replicates that bad data to the next site, and so we lose that one too. So these are different capabilities. I'm not saying that DR and backup are bad. They remain as important as they ever were. They just meet a different purpose than a recovery or a cyber resilient strategy. At the same time, we want to be able to leverage those investments that our customers have made in their DR and backup strategies as stepping stone into their cyber resilience strategy. So that's where we focus with our Power Protect Cyber Recovery Solution. This is an area where we've been involved for five years. We've really been the leaders in cyber resilience. We've helped to set the market, set the capabilities that are out there. We have the most sophisticated solution and the most sophisticated practice. We also have the most customers, and that's important because we've got a lot of hands-on and operational experience. Another thing we've done in this space, and I'll touch on a little bit later, is work with the best practice groups that are out there, like the Sheltered Harbor Initiative, and we're the only ones involved with that process, which again, important from a standpoint of maturity and capabilities and sophistication. So what do we do? What is cyber resilience? What is cyber recovery for us? Uh, I like to say you know, we could spend a couple hours on this, and I have on this particular diagram, but I'll just give you kind of a basic overview. And of course, we're all happy to talk with people in more detail about it at any time. So on the left, what we have is our traditional data center, very uh, simplistically depicted production environment and the backup environment. Note, we don't have DR here, but people may have a second or third site. The other thing that we've done is we've color-coded some of the data. So when we talk about cyber recovery and cyber resilience, we're really focusing on protecting the most important data. That might be 20% or 30% of the overall footprint, just depending on the organization. We can certainly protect all 100%, but normally it's a focus on that most significant part. And so we've color-coded that here between the blue and, and green data on the left. So organizations are already making a backup. We're not going to impact that, but we do want to leverage it. And how do we do that? So our cyber recovery vault, our data vault is on the right side. It has a couple of important characteristics. So one, it's physically separate. We like to have it in a locked room or a locked cage, but it's not another data site. It's at your production site, it's at your DR site. It might be with a managed service provider or even a cloud provider. Location doesn't matter. It's just that physical access that helps us protect against bad actors. And it's logically separated. So you can see in the middle, we've got this air gap and we call it an automated operational air gap because it's not always off. We enable it sometimes so that we can update the data that's in our vault. So normal status are components in our vault. They run the vault from that side. We have storage, compute, and other components there. They're not accessible if you're in the production environment. They have private IP addresses. We don't share switches, firewalls, data diodes, our Unisys stealth capability. All those things can come into play to further secure the vault. What happens though, is we want to take that most critical data. So the green boxes, if you will, on the left, and on a regular basis, we want to update the content that's in the vault. 
So we will enable that vault, essentially unlock it in a very careful manner so that's limited what can happen. And we'll go through these steps. Sync, we take the data from the production side that has changed from the last time we've done this process and we sync it over into the vault. Then we lock the vault back down. We make a copy of the data and organizations will keep that data from a couple weeks to a couple months, depending on their vault requirements. Then we'll lock the data. So we'll apply a retention lock to it, which helps to protect further against an insider or a failure of any type. It can't be deleted before the retention period expires. And then we'll analyze that data on a full content basis. And we'll talk about that a little bit more But essentially what we're doing is we're looking at that data to make sure that it's valid, that if there was an attack, we could use it for recovery. Out of all of this, we can get monitoring and reporting. It's automated. You don't need somebody sitting in the vault. It runs by itself and sends out information about the vault to your SOC or NOC or other monitoring groups. And of course, the whole point of this is if there is destruction or encryption in the data center, use the data that's in the vault to securely recover back to your production environment or another environment that you've chosen for your recovery process. So that's really the basics of our solution here. There's a lot of detail in there, but that's our overview of everything. One of the most important things that we've done is that we've built the solution out and we've productized it. And what I'm showing you here is the uh, graphical interface for the system that runs in the vault. So if I can skip back for just a second, you can see the, the vault side. This is what runs in the vault, and the vault is controlled and operated from the vault side. That's really important because we make the assumption that a bad actor who's in the data center might have access to everything. Think, think about when I mentioned before about the insider. That insider may have access to everything, knows all about the vault, knows when's it's, when it syncs up, how everything works, and yet we're still going to be secure from that type of a threat actor. And part of that is running everything automated and operating it from the vault side. The other great things about having a product is it's tested frequently. We have a help desk. There's a roadmap. We make improvements all of the time. And so you don't want to go out in this space and get a custom one-off solution that may not be secure and may lose its security over time as changes are made. Having this productized is, is really important. Also, as you make changes into your vault, you might change what's brought into the vault. You might uh, decide that certain data sets aren't critical anymore, or they've moved. And being able to use this GUI, especially on the right side here with Things like policies to update that is, is all very easy and straightforward. And then you can see here too, the recovery tab. We've automated a lot of the recovery processes. So if there is an attack, you know what to do and you can do it at least partially on an automated basis to speed your recovery and make it as efficient as possible. A couple things that we've learned about cyber recovery and resilience that are important to a solution that's going to be effective. And again, tying this back to the whole spectrum of threat actors and the tools and capabilities that they have. So we think about this on a couple of different levels. And you can see on the slide here, good, better, best. And of course, you want to get further up as you assess the risks and the importance of your data in your environment. So good capabilities are things like 
making the data immutable. Some people will call that worm, write once, read many. There's a standard out there called 17A4F that people use to kind of take the place of worm. Uh, but essentially what we're doing is we're making that data harder for a, a bad actor to delete. So if they get into our backup environment, our infrastructure, we've locked the data. And note that I did say uh, harder or more difficult to delete. Data that's locked really isn't immutable. There are ways to attack the data. There are clock attacks. There are insider attacks. So it's a good control that you want to add to a solution, but it's not a solution in and of itself. Then as we move into better, how do we improve our positioning there? Well, one thing is let's protect from insiders. So having those capabilities to separate the systems that an insider can't even get access if they know where everything is, putting physical controls on rooms and locks, separating duties so that different people can do different things. Those are all components of the solution that, that are important too. But as we get into best, this is really where we separate from everybody. And the key there is having that air gap, that in operational air gap that separates the system from any bad actors that don't actually have physical access. And that's almost every case. So doing that alone is a huge step up from the good and better. I'd mentioned Sheltered Harbor before. There's not a lot of standards in this area. So when you look to how do we benchmark our, our capabilities or our solution, uh, Sheltered Harbor is a financial services initiative that uh, looks at a lot of these things and has some recommendations on it. We're the only group that's working with them in their technology solution provider program uh, in their alliance program. So that's a really great data point. And then the last piece is analytics. How do we know that what we put into the vault is good data. And then can we use that data when we recover? You think about some of these attacks, you don't know that an attack is, for example, a not Petya attack, which happened a few years ago until later. All you know is that your systems have gone down, your data is locked up. Having analytics for your vault data can tell you immediately what data is good and what data is bad. So you might be able to use some of the data that didn't get impacted. You might know that some of your data from today is bad. And think back to my sync, copy, lock, analyze process. You may have a copy of an application, for example, from the day prior that's good and you can reuse that versus having to go back and, and set things back up. So all that information leverages into the process of enabling your recovery to be more efficient and more effective. This is kind of my specialty area. I know it puts some people to sleep, but you know what's happening in the regulatory environment, what's happening in the legal environment, and we're tracking along with those things. And in fact, in, in many cases, we're helping to drive those. So in the US, we tend to have more industry-specific requirements and healthcare and financial services really lead the way. They're talking about, as you can see uh, from the FFIEC, an air-gapped data architecture our FBI, which is a group that we get to spend time with here, is talking about backups and ensuring they're not connected to networks that they're backing up. So you think about um, those backups being attacked from my earlier slide, that's really what they're referencing there. Outside of the states, the protections tend to be more broadly structured. So they're not going to be sectoral in an industry, but things like the GDPR, which protects personal data, actually has some cybersecurity requirements to it. 
and just fascinating to me, again, GDPR has been out for a few years that they mentioned what I talked about before, confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the data, not just the confidentiality, which is the theft, but if you're going to have that data, you've got a responsibility to make sure that you can use it and that it's secure and available. So this is the path that we're working down. And when you think about how these all coalesce, it's an air-gapped copy of data that's protected in the data vault. That's the best way to meet these requirements as they become more structured, more strict, and more important uh, in the coming years. So when you look at the competitive differentiators, and this is similar to the slide that I showed you before, I think it's important to understand what else is out there and where it may fall short. So in many cases, what we see from others in this space is just taking a backup and hardening that backup. And as I said before, things like immutability, which you can see across the top row here, it's important, it's useful, but it's not a solution. It's just an extra control that's going to make that data a little bit harder for a bad actor to reach. We're operating across all of these different capabilities and they're all very important. So as you look at other solutions, really understand what they do, what they don't do, and where the gaps are going to be. They're going to protect typically against the, I mentioned before, garden variety bad actor and not against insiders, not against more sophisticated threat actors, and not against things that are cyber warfare like NotPetya that we saw a few years ago. So be very um, careful and be very informed on all these capabilities and determining what's necessary for you to really keep a safe copy of data. I talked a little bit about the uh, analytics and want to talk a little bit more. So how do you know that data in the vault is good? And that's what we do with our CyberSense capabilities. So think about the sync, copy, lock, analyze. We're bringing data in to the vault. We don't care if it's good or bad data. Um, it's not going to run in the vault. So if there's malware in our backup that we're bringing into the vault or there's dormant malware, it doesn't run. It can't impact our vault because we're keeping it in this backup format. But we want to know, is the data good? So what we do with our analytics is we take that data once it's in and locked into the vault and we scan it. We don't have to restore it. We can read through the backup format. And we're going to make some observations, some statistics on all this data. We're going to go at an operating system metadata level. Did the size of the file change? Does it have an extension that might indicate it's been corrupted? We're going to look at the application metadata. So think about a database having an actual structure to it. That if that whole structure is gone, then that data is corrupt. But then we're also going to look at the full content. So we're going to measure things like Shannon entropy that might tell us that data has started to get encrypted. Uh, we've got chunking and similarity algorithms that will help us compare files day over day. We're going to take all that information and feed it to a machine learning algorithm that's going to help us understand whether that data has been corrupted. So no, we're not looking for malware. We're looking for evidence that the data is not useful. We repeat, we do that day over day. We have all these comparisons. And then we've got all that information available to us. So we'll send out from the vault a simple report card. Data looks good. Data suspicious. And if you go into the vault, you can look all the way down to the file level to every single observation that can get you all the information you need to help determine root cause and help figure out how you're going to recover. Really important. 
I mentioned before the critical data. So as we work across industries, every industry has different focus areas. You can see a few here. Um, I spend a good amount of time in the financial services area. So banks and credit unions looking at core banking. Some are looking at trading platforms. In the legal community, document management is really important. You know, all data is going to be important at certain levels, but what we're really looking to protect in the vault are those critical data sets that without you really do not have a business, you can't operate at all. So get those into the vault and make sure that they're protected. I've mentioned Sheltered Harbor a few times. I think it's a really good organization for people to look at for best practices. Uh, Shelteredharbor.org is the site. If you're in the US banking and financial services industry, you can be an actual participant. And I think it's a, a good uh, evaluation to make. It helps protect the US financial system. If you're not a potential participant, the ideas that they have, and you can see here on the right, for example, how they require a data vault, the characteristics that are necessary to protect data are, are useful. So the unchangeability, the separation of the data uh, make sure that it's accessible. All those components add up and there's more technical requirements there that are really useful. We're looking forward to winding up our last step of our endorsement process uh, this month, which is August 2020, and uh, continuing to work with the organization and their participants out there. So just kind of wrapping up here, you know, why, De De why Dell Technologies for Cyber Recovery I mentioned before kind of some of the specifics here. The air gap is hugely significant. You know, just making data immutable or locking it is, is a good step, but it's not enough. All of our experience in this space, really good five years. We know what we're doing. We've made changes to the product over time to reflect some of the new techniques. And then the analytics in the vault going full content, all of those things really add up to a very robust solution. We've got a lot of other materials out there on our website, videos, case studies, white papers. I uh, recommend that to you also. So I want to thank you very much for your time. Look forward to the opportunity to maybe speak with some of you in the future and uh, be safe and take care. Thank you very much.